Hello, nice to have your company. Uh, we're on episode five now, so you've yeah, made it rather further than we thought we'd be. And you're downloading actually in your hundreds. It's official. So I will do a roundup in a couple of weeks' time uh, and talk to you about the kind of demographic of listeners, how many have listened, what the kind of favourite episodes were, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the things about having a podcast is you generally know a few weeks in advance who your guests are going to be. Um, and because of that, you have a good window of opportunity to think about the stuff you're going to talk to them about. Um, and so stuff crops up in your head. And I'm particularly excited because I know this next guest won't shy away from giving an opinion on practically anything I throw at her. Um, so this week, we're welcoming Dipti Patel. Dipti's uh, an entrepreneur in the Southwest. She's the managing director of a central chiropractic clinic in Torquay. She is herself a chiropractor. She's a northerner. She's a fan of Piccalilli, um, which is good. She hosts a brilliant barbecue. Uh, welcome, Dipti. Thanks for coming on. Hi, everyone. Hello. Thanks oh, for coming thanks on. Thanks for having me. I know, I know. And and how do you follow such a fantastic introduction? That was a very good introduction. Very professional. I'm it's very good. impressed by that. We'll be in the gutter any minute, so don't worry. Um, Perfect. We uh, follow your social media quite, I won't say intently because that sounds almost weird. Um, <laughs> you know, look at it three times a day, when I wake up, before I go to bed, and I'm joking. But I, I regularly <laughs> see your updates. And the one thing I'll say about you, and I've known you a little bit for a few years now, is you are, you're a very, very optimistic person. I think you always see the glass as half full, or certainly that's how it seems. And I remember at the beginning of lockdown, when when people were just climbing the walls, couldn't believe what was happening, expecting zombie apocalypse, you were very, very positive about it. And you saw it as an opportunity, I think, to reconnect with people, to rejuvenate, to do the things you've wanted to do for a while, but the kind of slog of daily life had, had, had impacted your ability to do that. Do you still feel as optimistic? You're still making the most of it? Or do you think it's um, not as good as it was? Well, you know, I resumed clinic now. I started back up on Monday and okay. Sunday was probably my lowest point of lockdown because I didn't want it to end. I didn't want my um, lockdown life to end. Why? I, we, Why do you like it so much? Do you know, it's given me chance for 10 years. So I've been a chiropractor for 10 years. I graduated June 2009, then researched into setting ESD up and then we established November 2009. And for 10 years, I work solidly, very minimal leave because it's self-employed, it's not paid. So you're scared to take time off work. You then feel guilty that you're taking time off work. And then all of a sudden that's taken out of your hands and you're told you have to take time off work. And I love it. I loved it. I've done everything I've wanted to do. The little snag list I've had at home with Tackled, the garden. I love gardening. It's just been a, been like a good couple of hours out in the day you know, pottering around my plants, cocktail hour every day, cooking food that take ages to cook. Oh, I've just loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, it seems to me like you use lockdown to do the things you've not had the chance to do. And I've kind of, I've got to that point now. So I've been working throughout, I've been working from home, which is very different to working in an office and the travel associated with that. But when we first started lockdown, I, I'm, um, inherently I'm quite a lazy person to be honest with you so it was a great opportunity for me to not get up at the crack of dawn anymore not have to jump on the 5 30 train to Paddington um slob out 
eat what I wanted, vegetate, and kind of have an excuse to not do very much. What I've found towards the latter part of lockdown is is probably um, uh, my my appetite to exercise is improved because, uh, you know, there's only so much time you can spend in your joggers on the sofa. Um, uh, I wanted the fresh air. I wanted something to stimulate me and stimulate my brain. I've probably eaten a lot better because when you're sat around doing very little and then you chuck a load of crap into your body, you feel even worse. I'm anxious that I don't want to get a headache because I'm sat in front of a laptop for much of the day. So I'm drinking more water. So I think the probably the physical health benefit for me has changed. And I hope I can keep these habits up because I've got to a point now where I I really want to exercise every day and it feels weird if I don't. What, what, What about you? Have you changed or has lockdown changed for you Um, and stuff that you'll sustain? So have you made any fundamental life changes? You think, actually, this has really exposed how badly my behaviours or habits were in this regard and therefore I'm going to change permanently. My mental well-being, I think, which is really important because I give myself a real guilt complex. So I chose to move to Torquay. Therefore, I should put in the effort to see my family that are all over the place. So I've got parents in Leeds. I've got a brother in North London. I've got cousins in Kent. So forever traveling on the M5, M1 to see them most weekends. Mm. That I'm going to put a halt to or reduce it, not stop it, reduce it because... Mm. You spend, you get into the car on a Friday night, you get back in the car Sunday afternoon and you're shattered come Monday morning because you haven't rest. So mm. as a pair, Ryan and myself have decided we're going to reduce that because we love spending time with other people, but we've decided that actually we probably need to just spend time just the two of us and not guilting myself into taking a day or two off work here and there. So I mm. think I will be reducing my work hours um, once everything I use the term loosely, has normalised. It's interesting as well, you talk about the kind of connection with family because what surprised me from a professional perspective and 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 a family and friends perspective is the ability, how easy it is for us to stay in touch by things like Skype and Zoom. And I know it's not the same, but actually if you're looking to cut down the amount you're traveling because it takes its toll, it's a pretty good substitute, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. We've been doing quiz night every Saturday night with Ryan's family and it makes it a lot easier because I know um, fundamentally Ryan's mum really looks forward to them and actually it is a good substitute if you can't get to them on a weekend. Yeah, agree, agree. What what would you say, if I were to say, what three things are you really grateful for in lockdown? What would you list? The time to exercise more. I've really enjoyed free time. Mm. Um, free time to exercise, read, do good, healthy lifestyle choices. Uh, definitely grateful for the weather. How dreadful would a lockdown have been in November when it was pouring down? Mm. Um, and actually, yes, technology and the internet, because it is easier to stay connected with people. Um, my screen time has gone up more so during lockdown, which I'm slightly disappointed about. But then how else do you keep, keep in touch with people? So technology for once, I have been grateful for. Normally, I'm a real tech phobe, refuse to go over to um, paperless clinic, which we're now transitioning towards. Um, so, yeah, those two things. I think the technology thing's interesting, isn't it? I was thinking about this the other day because I, it's a case of what makes you bad makes you better in some instances. I think actually mental health is severely impacted by by technology 
um, our, our kind of reliance on technology, social media. But actually, in in the situation we currently find ourselves, it's probably stopped a lot of people climbing the walls and protected people's mental health to a degree. So it just goes to show, I think it's got its place. It's not a force for bad. It's probably a force for good technology, as long as it's used in the appropriate setting. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. Um, we, we talked in the opening kind of monologue about you, you being a chiropractor. Um, and I think most people, I asked a few people um, over the last couple of days, as I invariably do in the run-up to the podcast, um, I asked them, what do they know about chiropractor, chiropractic? Um, have they ever used a chiropractor? Uh, and would they ever use a chiropractor? Um, the answer to the first one is they're the people who crack your bones, uh, generally speaking. The answer to the second one is uh, uh, occasionally. Um, so I don't use chiropractors with any regularity, but I use them very, very occasionally. And uh, number three is, is, yes, I absolutely would use them. I would recommend them. Uh, uh, the answer to number one was the one that surprised me the most um, was how little people knew about the technicality of chiropractic. So can you just help us understand what is chiropractic and how does it benefit the individual? I've thought about this question when you gave me the little layout of what we do or what mm. we do on your podcast. And yeah. it, it can be answered in so many ways, different ways from different chiropractors. So some people keep it really mechanical um, and some people go down the wellness route. We're a little bit of both. So chiropractic focuses on restoring um, joint mobility and also making sure the spine is in line is what people like to call it. So making sure any vertebral restrictions are removed because subsequently if there's any vertebral rotations restriction, apparently it then interferes with the nervous system. So it's like when you stand on a hose pipe in the garden, it prevents the flow of water going through the hose pipe. So they liken it to that. So if there's an interference within the nervous system, the messages don't travel through the nervous system as they should. So there's some chiropractors out there, out there that will claim it does all these beautiful, amazing things, you know, really out there thoughts. And there's realistic chiropractors like myself, another clinic in Paynton that keep it real. Yeah, we do wonderful work. It can have some um, positive effects on different aspects of the body. So some people have claimed that IBS settles or reflux, anything like that. But pain wise, it's really good in addressing aches and pains throughout neck right down to the feet. Because if the joints are not functioning correctly, the surrounding soft tissue doesn't function correctly. And that's um, a pain signal then is released. And that's what we do. So we go to the root cause of the problem, which then deals with the symptoms. Okay. And, and that makes sense. yeah, it does. And I th so, so that kind of leads me on to the second point, because I, as I said, I asked people, you know, would they, uh, sorry, do they use or have they used a chiropractor? And generally they say, well, occasionally it, I'm of the view, and I don't know, but beyond my own personal experience, I'm of the view that to get the benefit out of chiropractic, it's always been useful for me to have a series of appointments over a period of time to make sure that once the root cause is addressed, there's an element of maintenance to stop it happening again. Um, whereas if you just go on the odd occasion, as I have done in the past, it, it kind of helps me over the course of a week or two, but I'm back to square one two weeks later. So is it right that it needs to be done over a sustained period of time or can one appointment solve the issue? 
No, do you know, it's really frustrating when we get patients in and they say, oh my gosh, you saw my friend so-and-so and he was cured within one appointment. And if you've had the problem for 20 years, a one 15 to 30 minute appointment isn't going to scratch the surface. Mm. You know, you're probably going to delve into it a little bit, but you do need a serious appointment over different time frames because your body's much like an elastic band. So when you pull on an elastic band, the elastic memory shoots it back to square one. But when you repeatedly pull on it, you break that elastic memory. And it's like the body. If you repeatedly pull and adjust that body, you're then going to break the memory or the muscle. And they're called engrams. The engrams it forms. And then you're going to give it a new one. And that's when we introduce maintenance. And then that's when we introduce maintenance and rehabilitation, strengthening, core work. All of that goes hand in hand with your chiropractic appointment. So it's not just the one adjustment that is going to help you. It's, it's a whole realm of things that will benefit your treatment and, and how much of it is down to the patient as well because because this is the other thing so so i'll make it personal just because it's easy for me to do that but a real real bad problem with my shoulder not been able to to come and see my helpful chiropractor because she's been enjoying cocktail hour every evening yeah um uh, i've been fairly immobile because of the nature of the activity that i've done discovered resistance bands uh not solved the problem but exercise movement has really gone some way to easing the pain so how much of it is down to the individual making adjustments and commitments to rehabilitating themselves exercise etc the first couple of weeks of treatment so that's what we call the intensive phase so we see you a little bit more frequently that's all down to us Mm -hmm. and i will put my hands up and say it's all down to us and i have to say if we can't touch it within about four treatments we'll find another alternative practitioner to help you. Thereafter, when we hit um, the strengthening phase, I would say a good 60 to 70% is down to the patient. Because when you see me for 15 minutes in my room, I don't know what you're doing for the rest of the time for the rest of that month outside of my room. So all the stretches that I give you um, or practitioners recommend the icing, the strengthening, it's so important to do them because you're retraining and reprogramming your joints and your muscles and your soft tissue. So when you're reprogramming them, you need to maintain that. And I can't do that um, long outside of those hours because, you know, there's going to be people that are lifting heavy things. There's the sedentary lifestyle sat at a desk for a prolonged period of time. So when we do say to patients, get up and stretch every 20 minutes, even if it's just a quick one, two minute stretch throughout the day, do it. It's important. Okay. And is it, uh, I mean, you talked when we first asked the question about what is Cairo, you talked about it. Some people would say um, it, it can do all of these weird and wonderful things. And then there are a group of very practical people who say, look, it will help you to a degree, but there is, there is some stuff that we won't achieve. I, a few years ago, I had a friend who had some issue with his ear canal and he was referred to a chiropractor. It, it, it worked for him, whether coincidental or not, I don't know. Um, I hear, and I think you treat young babies who have colic, issues with colic, etc. So, I mean, how broad is this thing? It, it, it must go beyond simply the, the physical pain or repairing the physical pain someone experiences in their legs, in their neck, in their shoulders. It, it, it's a little bit more holistic than that, right? I think so. And we have to be really careful now because the ASA, the Advertising Standard Agency, do come down on us like a ton of bricks because um, with, for babies, for example, so reflux, colic, constipation, 
anything like that that I typically see babies for. There's very little research carried out because it's unethical to complete research on infants. Mm. So we will never have any congruent papers that say chiropractic does help colic, chiropractic does help reflux. But if you take, for example, 100 babies and take their parents and ask them if chiropractic worked for their child, and you know more than 60 70% say yes, then surely that is evidence in itself that chiropractic can help with colic reflux. And it's, it's all again to do with the nervous system. So all the nerves that stem off from the spine, they supply the organs as well as the muscles. So if those muscles are being impacted from vertebral rotation in the spinal column, then surely the organs are also going to be impacted to a slight degree. That's my thought process behind mm-hmm. it. But because there's no congruent evidence, we can't make those claims and it's all anecdotal now. So you build up a reputation within your area that, oh, go see the chiropractor on Limington Road. She treats babies for colic, reflux and constipation. Right. Okay. And do you think, because I'm of the view, I'm totally sold on the chiropractor thing to the point where I watch videos of people getting adjustments because I'm, I'm like a, it's like a crack addiction, quite literally mm-hmm. it's to crack. Um, but the, the, I see benefits for the mind as well. So the, the, if you, so for example, I've suffered for, from depression for, for many, many years. We did a podcast about that a few weeks, actually. Um, and one of the things that, that one of the symptoms of my depression is I just feel sore and my body feels like lead. So when I receive a uh, chiropractic adjustment, for example, I think there are huge mental benefits to that, or certainly treating the symptoms of my mental illness. Um, add to that, if you're in a, in, a, in a position of constant pain, be that anywhere in your body that will have an impact on your mental well-being because it's very hard to concentrate you'll be fighting pain all the time you'll feel tired um as a result of that do you, do you think there are and i'm not asking you to to you know compromise yourself with the asa or anything but do you think there are benefits from a mental well-being perspective i think so because if Pain, so pain is a negative emotion and negativity and a low level long-term stress increases the levels of cortisol, so the stress hormone within the body. Um, so if, for example, you deal with the pain issue side of things, so treating the bad back, the bad neck, the headache, the neck pain, whatever, um, you subsequently then decrease the levels of pain, which then decrease those negative emotions which then decrease the levels of cortisol being released so cortisol always puts you in low level stress so high levels of cortisol are bad for you so in a roundabout way yes people a lot of people have said that once they're out of pain it does have a real positive impact on their mental well-being and that's only i can only probably attribute that because you're dealing with the different hormone levels that are associated with why do so many i say so many people there are a large number of people not large, relatively speaking, um, but there are a large group of people who who believe Cairo is it's hokum. They think it's all mumbo jumbo, witchcraft. It's not going to. Some people actually think it's really bad for you. So I was listening to to one guy the other day. He's like a commentator on YouTube because um, they're quite they're quite popular, aren't they? The chiropractic adjustment videos. There are a good number of people. Yes, they're really love popular. To, I always like the guy in America. He's I think I sent him to you. He puts a towel around your neck. It's called the ring dinger and he clamps your waist, but I couldn't convince you to do that. Um, but 
But there was someone watching that and he was doing a bit of narrative around it. And he was basically saying, you know, he's going to kill somebody. He's going to decapitate them, remove their head from their shoulders. So there are a number of people. And I was surprised, actually, that that a friend of mine said, oh, don't go to see a chiropractor. It's all mumbo jumbo. It's not not real. Uh, what, what, What drives anyone to believe that? A, a well-evidenced medical treatment is is just hokum. It's just mumbo jumbo. You... I think that it's a lot of learned opinions. So someone around them's had a bad experience with a chiropractor, and that's why they'll never go mm. see one. Often, the skeptical patients that come into the office or into the clinic, they're the best patients. They absolutely fall in love with it because their expectations are so low, and then all of a sudden, they have this amazing treatment, and it's all there. Then a lot of it comes from medics, as in doctors, surgeons, etc. Anything like that. They don't particularly rave about us. I don't know. Is it a drug company side of things? You know, if you're seeing chiropractors for pain, the number of pain relief that's prescribed then plummets, and then drug companies are not thriving because they're not selling as much paracetamol, clodoprol, and naproxen, anything like that. Um, Or is it just fear of the unknown? I don't know. I ask myself this question most times when I see someone that hates it. Of course, you've got to be really careful with who you adjust. That's why we take such a detailed case history, um, gaining past and present medical uh, circumstance. And there's times where chiropractors, osteopaths, physiotherapists even shouldn't adjust a neck or a back. But as a chiropractor, you're trained to learn that. And, you know, we're humans you know you may make a mistake and then pay for it later mm. down the line but um i think maybe that's what it's a mixture of everything so learned behavior fear and yeah the unknown i think the learned behavior thing though i find really odd because you know i've been to a barber who's been really really shit i didn't decide then to grow a t- ponytail um so it's it's it's, <laughs> it's a really narrow-minded view it's a bit like someone saying well I, you know i went to a doctor and uh, you know they missed my cancer diagnosis they misdiagnosed me i had cancer and i got very very ill and someone said well i'll never go to a doctor again i'll just go to you know i'll just go to google some hokum on the internet does it frustrate you that oh absolutely because what speaking about the cancer thing as a team we've picked up so many missed cancers in patients you know now i'm not saying everyone that comes in with back pain has cancer but we're, we're trained, we're primary healthcare practitioners. So people can walk in off the street, they should leave with a diagnosis in their hand. If we have to refer for further imaging, blood work, we do that. But we've picked up so many cancers that have been missed by the GP because it's just been um, papooed as, you know, the, the symptom from the cancer has just been papooed as back pain or leg pain or mm. sciatica. Often mm. It's papooed as. And then once it doesn't respond to treatment, you then start going down the red flag roots is what we call and we pick up cancer and so we never get recognized for that and that really upsets me and frustrates mm. me because if it, i think well if it wasn't for us then that patient could potentially be in a very 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 different situation um and people don't tend to want to listen to those no things. no we only believe what we want to believe we've, we've kind of sit in an echo yeah. chamber it's safe to say though isn't it that that uh, essential you do more than just chiropractic right you've got you've got a wider offering than purely chiropractic is that fair to say yes we have gosh we've got chiropractic we've got physiotherapy um sports massage. You've got a dietitian and a nutritionist as well did i read yeah we offer that service what else do we offer oh my gosh i've not been in there for so long <laughs> i forgot what we do <laughs> no no and i think that, again you and i've never thought of it like that you, you talked about um 
chiropractors being primary care practitioners. But but it really is for many people. That'll be the first kind of foot in the door of uh, any kind of healthcare arena. If I've got a problem with my back, I'll go to the chiropractor. And, and ultimately, that could lead to a diagnosis which could determine a, a course of treatment and uh, which could ultimately save lives but as you say people want to sit in an echo chamber and, and they don't want to they don't necessarily want to to hear that and I, I also think testament to you because actually what you provide is a series of primary care not just chiropractic there's physiotherapy there's mm-hmm. you know soft tissue therapy dietetics and nutritional advice but on the subject of your your business more broadly um because it, it, it's you're, you're difficult to put in one category actually because yes you are a practitioner you're a chiropractic um practitioner but you are a businesswoman you run a business you pay a team of people a team of people who work for you uh, you've got overheads you, you, you deliver a level of public service in many ways um and i think well i know that you have got you as an individual because i know you you have uh, several glass ceilings um, or will have encountered several glass ceilings for two reasons. Number one, you're a woman. Um, and we know evidence tells us, science tells us that women find it harder to progress in business, find it harder to be taken seriously as leaders um, than men. And you're a woman of colour. Um, and therefore, again, the science and the evidence tells us that you will encounter far more prejudice and challenge to your journey to success than a, a white woman or 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 we're still a white man. Have you encountered those kind of prejudice in your in your path to success? Have they hindered you in any way? Um, I think when I set up 10 years ago, it may have hindered me a little because it, my name, for example, people tend to find it really difficult to pronounce. And it, which is quite bizarre. It's quite bizarre. It's it's actually yeah, quite yeah, yeah. Name, I think. Um, and and I think people and people always a little bit cautious, but I, I don't know. Does it? We're quite busy, so I don't know if mm. it has impacted me. Obviously, being a woman, I find um, probably the more the, like the farmer side of people mm. in Devon, quite. I don't want to say chauvinistic. I think. Um, they're always taken aback by it's a tiny woman that's going mm. to treat them. And there's always a sly comment of, oh, I hope you can do something. You're little, aren't you? Um, which often baffles me because they don't know my strength until they've been through mm. treatment. But not massively. I haven't experienced any racism at all. In fact, throughout my whole life, I've not experienced mm. any racism. Um, so I don't know. No, I haven't experienced any difficulties. Do- establishing that okay i'm not trying to put words into your mouth i'm I'm offering a perspective but if i invited you to the chamber of commerce lunch for example which i know to be a room full of pale male stale characters um would you would you have any reservations beyond the norm because of your gender your ethnicity your name etc or or does it just not encounter does it not do you not consider it to be a problem an issue i would probably feel nervous but actually that type of um environment drives me a little bit because i love talking Mm. the hornet's nest 
I love poking the nest and I see those that type of environment um, entertainment for mm. myself really um, and then I tend to win that kind of group of people over just Mm, mm. I find it really interesting that, you know, I don't like to talk about my employment, but I work in business, senior leadership roles and have done for a number of years. And, and, and perhaps that's the difference is because, you know, I've always worked for larger organizations and I've been part of a fairly big industry. And at the industry level, the organizations I work for have all been great. But at an industry level, I go to industry events and I see the way, um, male male leaders in that industry in some instance behave towards females in the room um you know and i'm not talking people who are wilting little violets strong leadership figures some of them have been my boss in many instances and it's that low level maybe it's what you talked about in the in the case of your you sure you're up to this because you're a small lass uh but, but it's that low level, all right, darling, oh, I've met this nice young girl, this nice young lady. I mean, do you share my view that that shit actually happens and, and fucking needs stamping out very, very quickly? Or do you think it's all a bit blown out of proportion and I'm being a, a liberal snowflake? I don't know, because one of my very best friends is in HR and she has to deal with a lot of backlash from males. Um, she works in a company that's male engineering mm. dominant um, and she often gets belittled but she can I think if you can mm. hold your own that goes oh that goes far if they see that slight wobble in you then it's like you've been thrown mm. to the sharks to feast on um, so even if it's a case of holding your own then wanting to go cry in the corner and do it all without anyone seeing um, I don't think you're blown out of proportion. It does happen. You know, there's, there's massive discrepancies between, say, female and male. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, oh, my gosh, what am I looking for? Leaders? Um, so Representation? Think, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I think it does need to be addressed. You know, the whole salary differences, all of that. It does need to be address but also what I also find is if women do want equal rights we do have to step up to the, mm. the mark as well um, and and give as good as the male yeah do. I mean and that's always the argument isn't it I've come on a long way on this journey I mean I'm finding every day I don't know whether it's lockdown hitting me but every day I seem to drift to the left and slightly further away from the centre right of politics but I think I think I think yes I agree with you my frustration um, and I say this as a father of a daughter, actually, which is probably where this comes from. Um, I, I, I've worked for, for all sorts of really, really good bosses, male and female. Without exception, the best bosses have always been female because they are better judges of character. They know how to get the best out of people and they have an absolute razor sharp eye for detail. And in my experience, men just don't have that same level of focus on the detail. Um, However, to create an equal society where men and women can compete, there has to be an equal platform. And so things like all women shortlists are probably not necessarily helping the, I'm going to say feminist cause, but, but helping, helping the feminist cause, helping women's uh, fight to get a bit better level of equal treatment, to have better opportunities, because all you do is you take away the male competition. 
actually equal treatment means equal treatment. And if you if you peg women against men in in leadership roles, for example, um, I guarantee you the women would nine times out of ten come on top because they make better leaders. There was a study, and I can't remember it, but but it, it looked at three fields: teaching. Uh, business and military. And in every single case, women came on top in terms of their leadership credentials and their effectiveness in that role. So when you make an all-women shortlist, for example, actually that doesn't that does nothing to showcase how great women are. It just says that women can compete against other women. What we want to see is women knocking off some of the imbalance um, and 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 outperforming the men. So yeah, yeah, I agree with you. There's, there's that, there's that whole, yeah, it's a paradox because women should get a bit of a leg up, I think, um, because they they haven't been given a fair start. But where does that begin and end? What, what would your advice be to either a younger you or or young young women who want to succeed in any industry as leaders? What would you say they need to focus on? Stop trying to please other people. Does you know okay. no justice at all? Um, that would be my best. Because actually, I'm contemplating like my background. So you're taught to be a strong, independent woman. You know, you get taught all the life skills like cooking, cleaning, yada yada yada, be the mm. perfect housewife, whatever. Then you're then expected to go to university and get a really good job, really good degree. But then to, if you go back to the real traditionalist, to then settle down and marry a doctor, a surgeon, a banker, a dentist, who's going to probably give you a really good lifestyle so you can step back and retire and just stay at home and look after the children. So my argument to my mum was when we had this rather raw conversation about who I was expected to marry and settle down, I said, well, what was the point of sending me to private school, sending me to university for five years, for five years to then get this degree, to then marry a wealthy so-and-so yeah. and settle down and she didn't have an answer so um and I often joke around when it's been a really stressful week and say oh gosh I wish I could have just been a stay-at-home wife and baked all day because now we have to do the food and the house stuff and earn mm. money as well um and it's and I find it really difficult when you're trying to please everyone because you hinder yourself because you're not mm. being true to yourself mm-hmm. Because you are going to have to wound some people. Do you think, and I know you won't mind me saying this, you are very direct in the way that you speak. So I, 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 I couldn't, number one, I couldn't ever imagine you skirting around a subject. I think you'd always be respectful, but you would say what you mean. Um, and number two, I think if you develop an opinion on something based on evidence, you, you, won't, be, you won't be pushed off that ledge, however emotionally. I'll give an example. A few years ago, her name was, I think, Susie Holiday, 30 stone woman, front page of Cosmo. Um, she was, do you remember this? I remember this yes. post and that she you was, put up. She was yeah, I do. lifted as this uh, beacon of hope for women and you know, the shape, uh, diversity of shape and all this kind of stuff. And it was kind of celebrated the way that, that she was living her life. And I'm sure she's a perfectly lovely woman. But being 30 stone, however tall you are or not, is unhealthy, um, just as being exceptionally anorexic is unhealthy. Um, and both of those two things should be treated with the same level of, of kind of, of, of response, the same level of input and, and perhaps in some cases intervention. But I, I got a lot of shit for that 
Um, and there were a lot of people, none of whom you knew, actually, most of them, most of them I knew, who felt very emotionally impacted by what I'd said. I'm a bigger man, I'm a bigger woman, and I think you've been offensive. Um, and however emotional those arguments got, uh, and certainly however tempted I was to say, okay, I'm really sorry I'm trying to push down. Uh, you were bloody consistent for that. I remember you making the point, actually, people always comment on the fact that I'm really slim or skinny or small. Yeah. And that's okay because apparently it's, you know, you're lucky to be skinny, so people believe. Um, but if someone can't stop eating cake uh, and, and, and you know, gorges on food, doesn't exercise, doesn't look after themselves, that, that's not fair game, even though it's more likely that they've caused themselves that problem. Um, oh, God, I got right on my soapbox and I forgot what I was going to ask you. So, so the point I was going to make was, do, do you think that you're, I, I'm not going to say stubbornness because I don't think it is, you are steadfast and you're direct talking. Has that ever become problematic for you in the way either you've engaged with a customer or a client or the way you might engage with your team or or have you never never seen that or has nobody ever seen that as an issue um i don't think i um our physio i remember i said something once. i said oh i think i'm gonna have to um tighten things up around here and she winced and thought oh my goodness mm. more so um that the, I think I am so lucky in the fact that the girls at EC, or we have now have one boy, the girls mm-hmm. and boy, know me well enough to know mm-hmm. how I run. So one thing I do hate is if there is a cock-up within the practice. Um, <clears throat> I don't care if there's been a cock-up at yeah. all. I don't care about it. <laughs> what I do expect someone to turn around and say, I'm so yeah. sorry, it was me. Fine. I don't, you know, it can be whatever, you know, and I'll be fine with it. Just put your hands mm-hmm. up to it and admit it. And they're, they're really good at doing that. So I think because I've worked with them for a number of years, they we all know how we all mm-hmm. work with each other. Um, and some people wince when we say, when we were an all-female team, they used to wince and think, oh my gosh, that must mm-hmm. be really catty. And actually, no, it's not. It's um, We're all a little bit, I don't say tomboyish. We, we're not the giggly girly type of girl mm-hmm. that you would come across. We're straight talking. We're all on the same page. If we're all hacked off with each other or hacked mm. off with someone, mm. we will address it. And then in a really professional manner as well, because we are friends with each other. But sometimes you have to leave that on the doorstep and say, look, you need to do X, Y, Z for this practice to run properly. And in essence, mm. for you to still have and, and what about the what about the piece um, around, um, you know, you're, you're steadfast in your opinion. Do, do you ever waver? Do you ever back down? Because I, I don't think you do, because I think you make decisions based on evidence or fact, and therefore there's no need to back down, because I'm always following the evidence. But do you ever back down? Clinically, yeah. Um, so clinically, if I've read up and researched and got my evidence, I will not back down if I truly believe that evidence serves the decision or the topic of conversation well. Personally... I don't have an issue with apologising, but it is a bit of pill to swallow, and I do back down yeah. now. Okay, yeah. yeah, I'll ask Ryan for his opinion next week. Um, um, we'll <laughs> no, please don't. Please <laughs> um, so, so this wouldn't be like talk without a, a, a little segment on politics. Um, so you are—I'm oh, saying what you are. I think you are fairly conservative in your outlook. 
Um, certainly in terms of your values, I don't know what your approach to things like Brexit or uh, economics or on a health reform is. But generally speaking, I think you appear to be centre right towards right. Um, a, am I correct? And B, how do you how do you summarise the current state of politics in the country at the moment? And that's that. Your opinion is important because you're a business leader and you employ people. So I think your opinion is far more important than, for example, Nick Kelly, who I'll bring on next week, who is a dyed-in-the-wool politician. Um, I can't fault our leaders at all at the moment. Cannot fault them. You love Rishi, um, don't you? You're a big fan of Rishi. One... You I love, love Rishi. Rishi. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's, you know what? And as an Indian person, <clears throat> it's so nice to see or, or even a Patel. It's so nice to see a Patel. Or Pretty Patel. Yeah. Pretty Patel, Home Secretary. Yeah, she, uh, yeah, she's, yeah, she could, um, she's probably a lot more direct than I am, actually. Um, but it's just so nice to see, and I'm going to use the yeah. word colour, in in our parliament. Yeah. It's so nice to see it. Um, and I think Rishi's done a fantastic job. I think Boris has done an amazing job. He's got us through Brexit, whether you're pro or not. He's got us through COVID. He's mm. had COVID. And for those people that are quite happy to be keyboard warriors, criticise him, speak negatively of him, I honestly think they need a, a big, big um, reality check because... Uh, and I love what you said about um, uh, this being a diverse cabinet. This is the most diverse cabinet, certainly in my lifetime, um, and probably of all time, you know, in, in the history of the country. If you think of Priti Patel, if you think of Rishi Sunak, um, if you think of Shrazi Javid, although I know he's not in the cabinet anymore. Um, and and yet, the man at the helm of the cabinet is perceived to have been quite racist. Do you think Boris Johnson's a racist? No, I just think it was a bit, bit silly with some of his remarks. I mean, I've probably said some stuff in the past, but he's mm. not going to hold them against me. I don't think he's racist at all. I just think he was a bit... Mm dim you know he's a very very clever man and what you tend to find with really highly intelligent people is that mm -hmm. they just lack social skills and that's all he's demonstrating is just a lack of social skills that's all but if he could have his time over again I no no and i suppose he was a journalist you know a, a journalist are meant to yeah. provoke an opinion um and provide an opinion uh, what do you think of keir starmer Oh, Sir Keir Starmer, I should address him properly. Um, I'll go first What whilst you think about it, because I think we might have a difference of opinion here. I really like him to the point I've never voted Labour in my life. I was a Tory member for many years. I was a Tory councillor for many years. I stood in three elections as a Tory, won one of them. Um, he makes me want to go out and vote Labour tomorrow, and, and let me position why. Um he is a refreshing change from, um, and this is left and right, this kind of character-driven politics. It's all about the how and not about the what um, at the moment. He's a refreshing change, always brings it back to facts. He's exceptionally forensic in the way that he analyzes things. He is calm. I've not seen him once personally attack any other politician. He's trying to keep his own opinions out of it and be facts and evidence-based. And he's just... Uh, uh, I think uh, a kind of ambassador for common sense and calm and and and, and measured debate 
in contrast to certainly Jeremy Corbyn, who I could not stick, and I think I'm afraid to say Boris, I think I'd rather have Keir Starmer leading our response to COVID than Boris. I can't believe I'm saying that. What do you, what, what do you think? Yeah, I like Keir Starmer because his previous line of work, I believe he was in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So barrister and then uh, director of public prosecutions, yeah. Which is very factual-based. Um, so, yes, he does base a lot of his decisions on facts and evidence, is what I like. And I do actually think he would make a good leader. Jeremy Corbyn, like you said, wasn't my cup of tea, and I'm being very PC about no, that. A lot, of his, a, a lot of his decisions... <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of his decisions, I think, were just yeah. based on emotion. And that emotion doesn't have a place in politics for me. But, yeah, with yeah, actually, Keir Starmer, I'm not going to... Would you, would you vote down. for him tomorrow? Would you vote Boris? Okay. And I don't know for sure that I wouldn't, um, because I, I, mean, I voted for Boris in the last election, uh, voted for Brexit... Um, didn't want Boris to win the leadership of the Tory party, much the same Jeremy Hunt, for the same reasons I like uh, Keir Starmer. But Boris has impressed me. He's been far better than I thought he would be. And the thing about Boris is every what, he could fuck things up so badly, people will still vote for him because they love the character that is Boris. We are a sucker for a man or a woman who has yeah. great rhetoric. That's why we love Winston Churchill, Margaret Thatcher, Boris Johnson and Tony Blair, because they talk a really, really good game. And when they speak, they make you really proud to be British. Could all be a load of baloney they're talking, but they make you feel proud, that kind of bulldog rhetoric. Keir Starmer doesn't have that, but I think there's, you know, more substance perhaps behind the words. Um, okay, we're, we're coming to the end. So a bit of a quick fire round. we we'll do, do five or six questions. Uh, Favourite film? Shawshank Redemption. Is that the one where he tunnels out of prison? Uh, Morgan Freeman. Yep. Andy Dufresne. Uh, what makes you cry? Mm. <laughs> oh, uh, probably when Ryan and I have a row because the realization of murder and the life sentence involved with it sets in and I can't get <laughs> murder. What makes, makes you sense. infinitely happy? Ooh, so many things. Pick one. Oh, loads the of things. Most. I'm such a positive person. Oh. oh, at the minute, probably my lily's flowering in the garden. In the garden. How old are you? Can I just check? Yeah. <laughs> are you optimistic or pessimistic about Brexit? Are you optimistic, optimistic or pessimistic about Donald Trump? Oh, this is the first time I'm making Pessimistic. Like uh, Favourite all-time Prime Minister? Yeah. Margaret um, Thatcher, but I feel like I shouldn't say her because she's probably... Maggie T, love She's my all-time heroine. Yeah, do you like... I like yeah. Um, yeah, and if you could pick true. one person who you idolise, could be like, would be like, and follow in in either the guidance they give or their success, who would it be? Who's your who's your idol? Who do you look up to? Um, don't really have any. <laughs> I like. Oh, I 
don't have because there's so many people that I respect and admire. You know, people in politics, even just people in fashion industry. I do actually, although he's quite irritating. I am quite. Oh yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because I can't stick the guy, but his podcasts are brilliant. I don't know whether you've listened to them. Very, he's quite a. He's quite. A yeah, smart he's a very clever man. man. Uh, it's a shame he injected so much heroin into yeah. his blood. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, it's a real thing mm. to me because you're like, oh dear. But then he's kind of redeemed himself a little bit. I really, you know, actually, I idolise. Yeah, really yeah. Intelligent people. Totally agree. Ricky Gervais, people. such yeah. an intelligent guy, right? Um, Brian Cox. You yeah, can't say Ricky Gervais. Oh, right, okay. Uh, favorite holiday destination? Brazil. And Brazil. first thing you're going to do out of lockdown? Properly out of lockdown. Go see oh, my mum and dad. Lovely. Dipsy Patel, thank you. That was, um, that, that was really good. It was very really fun. We, we tried to mix it up on the podcast. So, you know, there's there's always a danger with these things that you drift towards constantly talking about Brexit, constantly talking about COVID. Um, so we've tried to mix it up and in, in, in the kind of balance and perspective you've brought has been um, really good. So thank you very much for your time. And we hope to have you on again soon. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Good. Thank you. That was uh, Dixie Patel, Managing Director of essential chiropractic in Torquay. Next week, we are welcoming Nick Kelly. He's a local councillor on Plymouth City Council and newly appointed leader of the Conservative Group in Plymouth. We'll be talking to him about the Labour leadership. We'll be talking to him about COVID-19, about Brexit and about how he plans to make a real mark on Plymouth politics. Thanks for joining uh, us this week and tune in next week to hear from Mr Kelly.